to John chapter 10. It's weird to not say Zechariah. <laughs> hey, we had a good series in Zechariah, and we are beginning a new series for the fall uh, called um, Our Good Shepherd. And we're going to be looking at the ministry of Jesus, how he shepherds us. And uh, we've got some goals, some, some hopes, and prayers. Uh, through this series that we'll understand uh, better how Jesus ministers to us and uh, even how he ministers uh, to us as our shepherd using the ministries of the church, in particular the under-shepherds, the elders of the church, um, and uh, not just the elders, but all of those who who speak into our lives and who uh, point us to Jesus, uh, who play the role of an under-shepherd uh, whether that's in an ordained capacity or whether that's in, uh, in an unordained capacity, maybe as a, a home group leader, maybe as a ministry leader, maybe as uh, a Sunday school teacher, maybe as a parent, maybe as a friend, maybe as a roommate, um, in all these different ways where we can hear uh, the voice of Jesus calling us to a closer walk with Him, okay? Uh, so that's, that's some of the goal behind this series. We're going to take a look at verses 8 through 13, I'm sorry, well, the beginning of verse 14 as well, uh, in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. Please stand in honor of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for you to bless the reading and the hearing and the receiving of your word. Show us that you are our shepherd, convince us that you are our good shepherd. Help us to follow you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. <clears throat> uh, we're going we're gonna to certainly get to John chapter 10. I want to just back up a little bit and, um, and, and pan out, so to speak get a, a broader view of the, the title and the language of, of shepherd as it's used in Scripture. And then we're going to zoom in uh, more on, on John chapter 10, talk about the good shepherd, and then really just trying to understand what, is, what does it mean that he's not just the good shepherd? You know, Jesus says that, right? I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for him to be our good shepherd, you know, with that possessive pronoun, 
our good shepherd. That's really important that we grasp that. Uh, but the shepherd of Scripture, if we just you know, pan back a little bit and, and see what's going on here, um, we're going to, well, you know, we're not quite done with Zechariah, right? I want to just do a little bridge uh, from what we were discussing in Zechariah. Uh, I hope you found that series helpful. I know it was helpful to me. Uh, we had some nice surprises in there. The prophets, you know, we generally just sort of gloss over them. Uh, they seem obtuse, hard to understand, you know, too much symbolism, too much, you know, ancient language and ancient circumstances for us to appropriate. But that's not the case. Um, there's a lot that's really, really helpful uh, for us and that I found helpful in Zechariah. The prophets have a lot to teach us, especially uh, Zechariah. Uh, in Zechariah's case, he used uh, frequently the language of shepherd. And, and so this is sort of a, a, a very actual, actually a very natural transition for us to move from uh, the series in Zechariah to a series on our good shepherd because Zechariah over and over again, <clears throat> for instance, in chapter 9, uh, was saying things like, on that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of His people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on His land. You can imagine a green uh, hillside with all the little sheep, little white sheep dotting it like, like the uh, pearls uh, on, a, on a green velvet crown. Um, and, and so God uses that imagery of the, the, the people of God being his flock. He's therefore by default the shepherd. In Zechariah chapter 10, we read that the, the people wander like sheep and they are afflicted for their lack of a shepherd, for their lack of a of a godly leader uh, who would reflect to his people uh, the, the, characters, uh, uh, the character of God who is our good shepherd. So this is not a unique uh, thing for the Gospel of John. Uh, it's certainly not a unique thing uh, to the Bible. Uh, in fact, it's not even uh, unique to the Bible itself. Uh, a lot of ancient Near Eastern uh, literature, a lot of um, kings and rulers uh, in those ancient times would adopt the language of a shepherd to describe their, their reign. Uh, so for instance, in Homer's Iliad, he refers to um, you know, the king or the leader who's in charge uh, in, in his poem, his epic poem, like over a dozen times, uses the language of a shepherd. Uh, the Code of Hammurabi uh, which goes all the way back to like the uh, 1700s BC. Uh, Hammurabi refers to himself, his own leadership as a shepherd. So, so God is employing throughout Scripture uh, a, a phrase, an image that people would be really familiar with. Uh, they would be able to, to immediately latch on to what does that mean for them, that, that God is a shepherd. And so Zechariah um, is embracing the same language that would be familiar to his ancient audience um, from their surrounding nations and from other places in the Bible. Uh, and Zechariah reminds us in chapter 10 uh, that, that he will deal with those who are bad leaders because they are not reflecting the true character of God as our shepherd. Uh, in Zechariah 10, the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. We're, we're reminded, right? So God cares for his flock so much so that when his, uh, the leaders, the, the human uh, leaders aren't uh, sufficiently uh, 
reflecting God's care, uh, God gets angry. He says he's going to remove those worthless uh, shepherds. Um, and that God is a shepherd and therefore we are the sheep of his pasture. You see this all throughout the Bible and all the way from the, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Uh, Jacob blesses Joseph. Remember at the end of, of the book of Genesis, I think chapter 48, uh, Jacob says to Joseph, God has been my shepherd all my life up to this day. So from the first book of the Bible, and then through the Psalms, we are called to worship with Psalm 100, right? We're the sheep of his pasture. Um, he's the Lord. He's God. He made us. Uh, we're his. Uh, Psalm 23, of course, you know about. We're going to study, sort of, we're going to unpack that intensely in this uh, Good Shepherd series. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, and then you get to uh, the end of the Old Testament, Micah, where it says that God will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of, uh, of the Lord, that God, God's ruler will, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And then you get all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelation, and the shepherd uh, and sheep theme continues. Uh, it's just uh, all over. Uh, for In Revelation 7, it says the lamb will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water. So it's replete, right? It's all over the place. So we, we want to come to grips with what does it mean for us to know God as our shepherd and to know ourselves as, as his sheep. So that's the, the shepherd of Scripture. Let's get, get back to John chapter 10. Jesus, who twice in, in these few verses refers to himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You see that in verse 11? And you see that at the beginning of verse 14, right? Um, so why is Jesus using this language? What is he trying to communicate? What does he want his disciples to understand? Well, Jesus is borrowing heavily from you know, a metaphor that God's people have been hearing, as we've looked at, over and over and over again, all through Scripture, all through the Old Testament. And they've seen examples of godly people in the Old Testament and godly leaders uh, who were shepherds, figuratively and literally. So the first shepherd of Scripture was Abel, Adam and Eve's son, who his, Cain killed his brother Abel. Uh, Cain was a farmer and Abel was uh, a shepherd. And so Abel's the first shepherd that we see in Scripture. Abraham was a shepherd, uh, when, for he was called out of Ur. Um, Moses was considered a shepherd. David was a shepherd, literally and figuratively. And so, and so on and so on. You get all of these, these uh, uh, prominent figures from the Old Testament who were shepherds. And along comes Jesus. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And it's interesting he uses sort of that definite article, right? Jesus doesn't say, I am a, a shepherd. He doesn't say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And so he's, he's calling attention to something special about his ministry and his, his role for his people. Um, when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's implying something. He wants his, his disciples to, to connect the dots and to make some, um, uh, some, uh, some conclusions about, okay, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then, then who am I? What, what does that say about me? So, for instance, if, uh, if somebody says, well, I'm a husband... What do you understand about uh, who they are in relation to at least one particular person in, in his life? Uh, if somebody says, I'm a husband, 
by implication, then, uh, there's somebody else in his world who is his wife, uh, and vice versa. If somebody says, I'm a wife, then we know, right, that there's somebody else out there who's a wife. So if Jesus is a shepherd, then, then what does that mean in relation to some other people who surround him and who are in relationship with him? They are his sheep. Um, you know, if, you have, if, if someone's a boss, then what does that imply? That they have employees. If somebody is a teacher, that implies that they have students. So what does it mean if somebody says they are a shepherd or if somebody says they are a leader, right? Because the, the shepherd figure, whether it was a biblical metaphor or whether it was an extra-biblical me- metaphor, meant that that person was a leader. In fact, in the, in the most authoritative sense, that person was a king. What does it mean for somebody to say that they're a shepherd. It means that they have sheep. Jesus, by saying he is the good shepherd, means that he has sheep. He has a flock. He has followers. And so over and over again, when Je- every time Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd, it's implying something. We should be making a connection in our minds and in our hearts. Oh, Jesus is calling me to follow him. If somebody says they're a leader and doesn't have anybody following them, then they're kidding themselves. They're not a leader. Jesus, by saying he's the shepherd, is calling every one of us to follow him. Jesus is not a shepherd in the sense that you and I have um, friends on Facebook who aren't really friends. They're just friends in theory. And they sort of, you know, are familiar with you from a distance. That's not who we are as sheep. Jesus is a true shepherd. He is the true shepherd. And therefore, if we're going to follow him, we have to really follow him. It's, you know, I've got, a, I've got 100 or so followers on Instagram. That doesn't mean anybody's following me. Truly. But so when we say that Jesus is our shepherd, we're not saying that he's just our shepherd conceptually or sort of figuratively. Either he is leading me or he's not. Either I've heard the call to follow him or I've ignored it. And so that's, that's the challenge to each one of us when we hear Jesus repeat in, 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 in short in a short group of sentences, repeat twice, I am the good shepherd. So, um, you know, there's sort of a, a, couple, of, a couple of groups of people uh, to address here. The first group is, okay, you've heard Jesus say, follow me, and you said yes, and you're following him. Good. There's another group of people who are familiar with Jesus. You've been in church all your life maybe and you can never remember not sort of being familiar with the Bible or with church and you know Jesus is the good shepherd and you know he says follow me but you know you're sort of like I'm not really following. Um, Yeah I've got Jesus on my Instagram. I'm following him sort of. Um, And then there's a whole other, other group that maybe you're hearing this for the first time. And you're going, well, I, I know about Jesus, but I also know about you know, this religious leader and this other spiritual figurehead and this worldview and that worldview. And I, you know, I don't know about following Jesus. I'm not sure that um, really there's one way or there's any particular 
you know, mystery that uh, you know, anybody has a monopoly on in terms of connecting with God. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really interested in following him exclusively. Well, to, to all of us, whether, whatever group you're in, and I know I'm oversimplifying, there's, there's many, many ways to slice that pie, but no matter what, which of those three groups you're in, I think we all can benefit from, from the question, why should you follow Jesus? Why, why would we follow him? Why, why would you follow any person who comes and, and assumes a position of leadership and says, I want you to follow me? What, what would be the condition for anyone who, who comes to you as a leader, as an authority, and says, I want you to follow me? What would you be wondering about that person? What would you have to have satisfied in your soul before you say, okay, I'm going to forfeit my independence and I'm going to forfeit my choices and I'm going to forfeit you know, my will and I'm going, to, I'm going to follow you and seek your will, right? That's a, that's a huge thing for us to do. That has enormous implications, for any leader, any person to stand before you and say, I want you to follow me. That's what Jesus is doing. I'm the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Follow me. What do you have to have satisfied in order to follow him? You have to trust him. Is he trustworthy? Is he telling us the truth? Do we know that he's good? Can, can we believe him? So look at the rest of this passage in John chapter 10. We can trust him. In verse 9, he says, uh, he uses another metaphor, I'm the door, right? And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So um, there's, that's some loaded language. Uh, you know, it's familiar to uh, church-going ears, but what if, you're, what if you're outside of the church? What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means to be rescued from everything in this world that causes us pain and ruin. In this world and in the world to come that you know, is sort of mysterious to us. But I think down deep, you know, unless we, we really, uh, we don't have time to go into, uh, you know, are we finite or infinite? Um, do we just sort of disappear when we die? Or do we somehow eternally uh, continue to exist in, a, in, in some conscious state. Um, let's assume in the immortality of the soul. What it means to be saved is that that immortal soul will continue on in a state of blessedness. Your eternity will be satisfying. Your eternity will be altogether different from this world that can be deeply unsatisfying. Jesus says, if you come through me, you'll be saved. You'll find the pasture that you long for, that your soul craves that you're seeking every single moment of every single day in one shape or form or another. Deliverance from the curse and experience of blessing. Jesus says, I'm going to give you that. All who come through me, if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved 
and he'll find pasture. And in verse 10, he says, look, there are those who come to steal and kill and destroy, not me. I have come that they may have life and have it not just an, a, a substandard existence, but an abundant existence. So this, this thing that it can be reflected in terms of abundant life. That's what Jesus comes to bring us. He's good. He's trustworthy. In verse 11, he, he, he follows that up and says that the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. He will forfeit everything on behalf of the well-being of those whom he's leading. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd, that persona. And verse 12 and following, he is again contrasting the hired hand. He's not a good shepherd. He leaves when there's a threat, when there's a wolf coming. Uh, and he leaves because he doesn't care for the sheep. Now, why is Jesus going to, at lengths to describe the nature of the hired hand? Because he's making a contrast. The hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. But I do, right? I do care about the sheep. Uh, and, and so Jesus can be trusted for these reasons. Why can we trust him? Well, because Peter, who understood you know, Jesus as his good shepherd, would say in his own epistle, 1 Peter 5, 7, we, we can cast all of our anxieties on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for us. Because he laid down his life for us. Because ultimately, people, he went to a cross for us. The cross just isn't a symbol of Christianity. It's a reality of the love of Jesus for us that cannot, I mean, you, you can't come up with anything higher or wider or longer or deeper to demonstrate the, the, the extent of Christ's love for us, to, to remind us that he's trustworthy, to convince us of his goodness, that, that he would not just you know, jump in front of a bus to rescue us, but that he would go to that place that the Bible defined as the place where the curse exists. He can deliver us from the curse because he absorbed it for us. He took it upon himself for us. The curse that we experience, actually the curse that we deserve because of our own sin, our own rebellion, our own sinful choices, he who had no sin became sin. So that in him, all of us who trust in him, who follow him, who say yes to him, can, can experience and can get in on his righteousness. We can be forgiven. We can be accepted. We can be brought in. We can be made sheep who are welcomed and blessed and protected and provided for by the good shepherd. He's trustworthy. That's why we can follow him. You have to decide, are you following is he truly worth following? And not just sort of, you know, in quotes, yeah, I follow Jesus, but truly follow him. Truly do what he calls us to do. Truly give up our self-sufficiency. Give up our will and embrace and adopt the will of our good shepherd as our own. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him add to us uh, all other things. So he's the good shepherd, right? And, and, and as I said at the beginning, is he our good shepherd? Has that definite article become a possessive pronoun for you? 
Is, is he not just the good shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? Is he our good shepherd? So that's what's so implicit in this passage is that you and I need a shepherd. What's implicit here is that we are sheep and we are not meant to do life alone. We're not meant uh, to go our own way. I love um, how the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, it's one of the resources I use for study, and it's, um, it's actually not, not that expensive. If you just need a good Bible study resource for your own um, you know, devotional time, or maybe you help lead a, a study or a class or a group, um, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery is one I can commend to you. And it says this about uh, shepherds and sheep. You just go to you know, look up those um, things like in a, an encyclopedia or something, and it says this about sheep in the Bible. Sheep were totally dependent on shepherds for protection, grazing, watering, shelter, and tending to injuries. Like you, I, I just need you to grasp that. Sheep are completely helpless animals. Unless you have experience in raising sheep, you and I don't really grasp this. But I need you to move from the idea of a, of a sheep as just a big fluffy dog uh, to a sheep as a sheep. A sheep is a, help, a completely helpless animal absolutely, totally dependent on shepherds for protection, grazing, watering, shelter, and tending to injuries. And, and here's where it gets funny. Sheep are not only dependent creatures. They are also singularly unintelligent. <laughs> Prone to wandering and able... able to find their way to a shepherd, it's prone to wandering and unable, unable to find their way to a sheepfold, even when it is within sight. Right. So uh, we have to we have to correct our paradigm of sheep. Um, we are sheep, uh, and sheep are not big fluffy dogs. Um, and and so, what does it mean for us to embrace our identity as sheep? Well, I think I have something that might help us. You know how some people, they'll, they'll do these studies and they'll compare people to, to cats or dogs. Are you a cat or are you a dog? I think most of us, when it comes to, to Jesus, when it comes to Christianity, we're, we're more like cats. So here's my cat impersonation. Oh, it's you. Right? I mean, am I wrong? I'm not wrong, right? I'm sorry if you love cats, but that's, we're, we're cats. We're, that's, that's who we are. We do our own thing. We are like, 
you know, Jesus, we can take you or leave you. If you want to stick around, great. I'll tolerate you. You can be the shepherd, whatever. That, that's how we look at religion. That's how we look at God. We're doing our own thing. It's nice to have God along if he wants to ride co-pilot, but we've got to get over that. We've got to move past our identity as cats and really start to understand, I'm a sheep. I need a shepherd. All who came before Jesus were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So what's, what, what, what does a sheep do? A sheep listens. A sheep listens for the shepherd. So he says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, be saved and go in and out and find pasture, right? And the thief, he's going to come and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. So what does a sheep do? A sheep is going to be listening to and, and, and hearing and heeding the voice of the shepherd. So one of the key things for us to be uh, mindful of is to answer the question, who are we listening to? Where are we getting our marching orders? What is influencing how we're thinking and what we're doing and, and, and how we're viewing life? You know, we're constantly on the search for good pasture. For, for green grass, for still waters, we're constantly seeking uh, the good life, a satisfying life, an abundant life. Where are we going to get these things? Who can lead us to those things? So, the questions then become, who's on your news feed? Who are you listening to? What's the message of your music? Who are the voices in your head? Who are the influential, thought-shaping uh, voices that you're listening to? Um, I'm gonna, here's a surprise for you. Let me read to you from Paul Tripp's uh, blog called Wednesday's Word. Uh, this is from 2013. But he says, you are in an unending conversation with yourself. You are talking to yourself all the time. Interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside you and around you. So what do you regularly tell yourself about yourself? about God, about your circumstances? Do your words to yourself encourage faith, hope, and courage? Or do they stimulate doubt, discouragement, and fear? No one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. How well are you counseling yourself? Reach out for help one more time today. Confess that you don't counsel yourself very well and rest in the rescuing grace of the one who is called Wonderful Counselor. The real surprise here is that you and I, you're your own most influential person in your life. But that influence and those voices and those, that, that conversation you're having in your head is shaped by the other conversations going on around you as we interpret and filter and process that information. So what, what are you telling yourself? And where is it coming from? For many of us, we tell ourselves some scary things. There's this constant repeating narrative. I'm ugly. I'm a loser. 
Life is hopeless. My future is empty. Is that recording playing in your head on a loop? Nonstop? Well, what does the Good Shepherd say? What should we be telling ourselves? How should we, whose voice should we be hearing? Do we want to hear the voice of the thief, the robber, the wolf, or do we want to hear the voice of our Good Shepherd? If He is your Good Shepherd, then listen. Remind yourself of what he's telling you. Remind yourself of the gospel that you're loved. That he cares for you. That he looks at you and he sees his own goodness, his own reflection. He looks at you and he says, you are beautiful because my righteousness is given to you. He looks at you and he says, you are an overcomer because my victory is your victory. He looks at you, he looks at me, and he says, your life is abundant because you follow me. Your future is satisfying because I've gone to prepare a place for you. I've gone ahead of you to make the way for you. That's what our good shepherd says. Is that the voice that we're listening to? And are we telling ourselves and counseling ourselves with the echoes of our wonderful counselor? We can trust our good shepherd. And when we do, he starts to change us. He changes our narrative of ourselves and of our world. And as we listen to, to the good shepherd instead of to the wolves, guess what? We start believing different things about ourselves and about other people. And it changes our attitudes. It changes our actions. It changes our sin patterns so that we start actually becoming more and more like our good shepherd who gives us shepherds to help us hear his voice. There's um, a really bizarre experience uh, when Jesus has raised from the dead and, um, and he appears to his disciples. It's one of the appearance accounts in John 21. And uh, of all things, right, uh, the disciples are going back to fishing and they see a guy on the shore as they're coming back from a night of fishing. And what is he doing? He's cooking fish and making them breakfast. And it's Jesus. And in that ensuing conversation with Peter, uh, Jesus, uh, after they'd finished breakfast, we're told in John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, what? Anybody remember? Feed my lambs, feed, feed my sheep. Three times, sort of, you know, in, in almost saying the same thing, but a little bit different. Peter hears Jesus say, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. What's happening here? What is Jesus doing? He's not only reinstating Peter three times uh, to match Peter's threefold betrayal. We sort of only look at it as Jesus reinstating Peter. But he's doing far more. He's giving us a paradigm for what Jesus is setting in place in preparation for his ascension. Jesus is no longer on earth physically, but He has left behind a system, a structure for leading the flocks all over the world. Individual churches that have leadership appointed by Jesus who will feed the lambs and tend the sheep and take care of the flock. We belong to Jesus. We're the sheep of His, of his pasture. 
He loves us, and He's not going to turn us over to wolves. He's going to give us good shepherds. So if we say that we trust Jesus to be our good shepherd, here's an important question. I'm gonna, this, this is going to hurt a little bit. Let me just warn you. If we say that we trust Jesus to be our good shepherd, then why are Christians so suspicious of the system of leadership Jesus himself instituted for the church? Why are we so skeptical? Why are we so hesitant to follow our shepherds? Well, okay, we can... We can acknowledge it's a sober question. It's a complicated question. We don't have time to go into all of it, but some of the, some of the other aspects of that question uh, we'll, we'll address this fall. But let me just touch on a couple of things. So there's this culture, right? I, and I'm not saying it exists here at Tabernacle. I think to a degree we all wrestle with this. But, but, but I think we've got some pretty healthy you know, leadership here, and I think you all as a church really do support uh, the session very, very well. Um, but it's not a secret, right? It's no mystery that the, the, the church at large and those who, who claim to be Christians but don't have a church, don't attend church, don't really care to go to church, I uh, think it's sort of optional. Uh, they've got this attitude that it's just me and Jesus. I've got my good shepherd, I'm good. Uh, and nobody can tell me how to live my life, right? Nobody can tell me what to do. Well, th- does that sound like a sheep talking? Or does that sound like a cat? <laughs> um, and so there's this sort of prevailing notion that we don't really need the church and we don't really need the church's leaders. So don't, I want to just say, don't throw the shepherds out with the wolves. We know, of course, there are plenty of predatory shepherds, wolves, really, who, who are out there and who abuse the flock and they do it for their own gain, we're told to actually be on our guard against them, not to follow them. So just to be clear, the Bible does not encourage anybody to just blindly follow a predatory shepherd, a wolf, in sheep's clothing or whatever. Um, so in, actually, God provides some good safeguards and checks and balances against that. For instance, in the New Testament, you see a pattern of local churches electing their own elders. So the, the, the safeguard there is, hey, church, if you don't want... Uh, a predatory shepherd over you, don't elect a wolf. Know who you're electing to be your elders. And therefore, nobody, you know, at least in the New Testament, you don't see a pattern of somebody saying, oh, here, church, we're going to mandate this is your new pastor, your new elder, or whatever, from outside. No, the church gets to elect their leaders. That's the New Testament paradigm. Another chakra balance is that the local churches are led by a plurality of these elders so that not one elder, there's no you know, single person who's got all the power calling all the shots, right? There's some checks and balances there and it keeps everybody accountable. Um, another par- uh, thing you see in the paradigm of the New Testament leadership is that the local churches are part of a connected regional church so that, you know, okay, you elect somebody as a pastor or an elder well, what happens later on down the road? That guy goes rogue. Then what do you do? Well, the New Testament pattern is you take it to the synod or the presbytery or the regional church, like in Acts 15, and you've got some, uh, a right of appeal. 
and they can deal with it at that level. This is actually what's beautiful about Presbyterianism, is that Presbyterianism embodies all three of those checks and balances. They're biblical. That's why I think it's, it's a really beautiful system of church government. So this series that we're doing on Our Good Shepherd is not something random. Uh, it's something that the sessions uh, prayed about and we're, we're excited about because we think this is a healthy part of Tabernacle's growth as disciples. For us to see how can we be better followers of our true good shepherd. Um, part of what this means for us is that the session wants to do a better job of leading you, of shepherding you spiritually. We want to improve in that. I don't know. Have you ever heard a church say that, hey, we want to do a better job of shepherding? That, sounds, that almost sounds a little bit weird. Um, we're used to hearing churches say, we want to do a better job of outreach, or we want to do a better job of, of building community, or we want to do a better job of, of I don't know, missions or mercy or whatever. Those are all very... Uh, important and good things, but have you ever heard of a church where the leaders want to do a better job of being like the chief shepherd? I'm thankful that our, our elders want to do a better job of doing what the Bible says is actually the most prominent example of God's care for his people. When you look in the Bible, shepherding is the most dominant example, the most dominant metaphor for what it means to care for God's people. And so, uh, we're going to spend the fall looking more closely at how Jesus is our good shepherd. We're going to talk about it in our home groups. We have sermon discussions. I want you to be involved in those so that you can work this out in very practical, uh, tangible ways uh, and get to know other people from Tabernacle better and build more friendships. And then we're going to make some changes in the new year regarding how the session interacts with the church. Are you anxious yet? <laughs> What's he talking about? I don't like change. This makes me nervous. No, um, really, we want you to understand that our goal is to be more uh, intentional. We want to be more relational. We want to be more helpful. Uh, we want all of us, we want this church to have a deeper, more personal experience of knowing what it means that we have a good shepherd who loves us and gave himself for us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for shepherding your people. Uh, we've seen your pattern of shepherding from Genesis to Revelation, and we see Jesus, our good shepherd, and we pray that you would uh, remind us of his goodness and remind us of his gospel, that, that his voice would be the voice that we hear, and that his promises would be dominant uh, in our minds and in our hearts and that you would help us become increasingly deaf uh, to the voices of the wolves around us uh, who are telling us uh, lies. Would, would you remind us of what is true? What is true because you love us. What is true because you care for us. And what is true because you gave yourself for us. Thank you for being our good shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.